Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club, a Rhode Island based club of passionate birders like you. Become a member and check out the fall edition of our newsletter. We've tripled the number of writers, and the issue is chock full of good reading. Find us on Facebook and at OceanStateBirdClub.org. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 801. A lot of news to report this week, so here we go. Last week, we talked about the new finch forecast by Tyler Hoare that tries to predict which species of cool birds will be coming down from the cold north into the lower 48 and southern Canada. Well, hold on to your suet cakes because some amazing stuff seems to be happening. Finchnetwork.org points out that Tyler's prediction of a big winter for boreal birds couldn't have anticipated things like a... Common red pole showing up at a bird feeder in New Mexico. While a pair of evening grosbeaks were spotted in a tree in the Florida panhandle. The finch folks caution that these records don't imply a pattern, at least not yet. But along with a nearly nationwide flight of pine siskins and red-breasted nuthatches approaching the U.S.-Mexico border, there seems to be a good chance that you'll be seeing common red poles, evening grosbeaks, and other visitors this winter almost wherever you are in North America. Out in California, economists estimate that the wildfires there may cause at least $10 billion in damage while driving people from their homes and businesses. And birds are affected too, of course. New research shows that although birds can often fly away from wildfires, this year may be different because the fires are bigger than any we've known before in the areas where birds have traditionally found shelter and food to fuel migration, their stopover sites, may have become dead zones. Meanwhile, there are fewer alternative sites as humans continually encroach even further on wild areas. We're hoping to have a guest here on an upcoming show to tell us more about this. On a brighter Golden State note, we'll learn a bit about California's state bird in just a few moments. We'll also welcome a new Talking Birds ambassador from that great state. We're celebrating National Wildlife Refuge Week. These wonderful refuges provide access to nature on the nation's largest network of public lands dedicated to wildlife conservation. 95 million acres worth. National Wildlife Refuge Week, October 11th through 17th. Meanwhile, we're happy to report that the new issue of our Talking Birds newsletter, The Trumpeter, is now available. has lots of good stuff in there. You can subscribe to it for free on our TalkingBirds.com website and our Facebook page. And the first photos are arriving in our Make Your Own Swag contest. The grand prize in which is a pair of Vortex Razor UHD binoculars. That's some serious glass there, along with fabulous weekly prizes as well. To take part, just send a request for a Talking Birds patch to rayatalkingbirds.com and we'll send you one along with full contest info. That address again to request a patch is rayatalkingbirds.com Extra, extra, read all about it. 
Here are some of the stories and videos we have for you right now uh, at our TalkingBirds.com website and on our Facebook page. Do birds have a subjective reality as humans do? A new study suggests that the answer is yes. And we'll connect you to a story about that uh, courtesy of Forbes.com. If you'd like to watch the International Bird Rescue Pelicam at the Los Angeles Wildlife Center, our website or Facebook page would be good places uh, to do that. And parrots were removed from a UK safari park after teaching each other to swear and then laughing about it. We have that story for you from insider.com. And those are some of the stories and videos and such on our TalkingBirds.com website and on our Facebook page uh, right now. And that is the sound of our mystery bird. A little preview of our mystery bird contest coming along a bit later in our show and which you could win a beautiful Droll Yankees chickadee feeder. Good for all kinds of birds. It even has a height-adjustable dome to help you decide which birds you might want to uh, have visit on any particular day. Bonus prize of a 12-ounce bag of delicious, shade-grown, bird-friendly birds and beans coffee. Some clues here. Our mystery bird is a medium-sized waterfowl with a long neck and long legs. It's buffy to cinnamon color on the head, neck, and chest. It has a dark gray back and wings with chestnut-colored patches on the wings and tail. Here in the U.S., our bird is found mostly in the Gulf Coast area on freshwater lakes and reservoirs and rice paddies, where it feeds on seeds and other parts of plants. And the sound this bird makes may offer a clue to its name. A little preview there of our mystery bird contest coming up a little bit later, and now a royal salute. To new Talking Birds listeners who have become Talking Birds ambassadors and uh, are considered royalty by us, for sure, helping us to get the word out about our show and about birds and conservation. Thank you so much to Kathy R. from Irmo, South Carolina. And if her name and location sound familiar, well, Kathy was a mystery bird contest winner uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I think it was. So thank you so much, Kathy. And thank you to John Marion from Livermore, California, in the Tri-Valley just east of San Francisco Bay. He says, love the podcast, but as a Californian, would love to hear a little more about Western birds. All right, John, we'll hear about one in just a few seconds. And thanks so much for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. We want to ask Talking Birds listeners, will you join that royalty? Become a Talking Birds ambassador. It's a good thing to do, we think, and very easy to do. Just go to our TalkingBirds.com website and uh, click on the Become Involved tab at the top of the page. You can sign up there very quickly and easily. Still to come on our show today, we'll talk with superstar birder, author, and tour leader Rick Wright, who will offer some thoughts about the future of birding. Plus, Mike O'Connor will talk about some birds with weird names and weird calls in our Let's Ask Mike segment. And up next, that California bird is today's featured feathered friend presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. 
What bird lives in California but seems to say Chicago? Is shaped like a 10 inch long football with a plume on top pointing to the goal line. Is believed to lay up to a dozen eggs, but often incubates more than twice that many. Well, the bird is the California quail. <laughs> That's the Chicago part. The adult male California quail is a rich brown and gray with a black throat outlined by bold white stripes. Females are a plainer brown and lack the facial markings, and both males and females have a pattern of chestnut, white, and gray scales on the belly. Projecting from the forehead of both sexes is a forward pointing, comma shaped plume that's formed by six overlapping feathers. Although the birds have to find drinking water during periods of sustained heat in arid habitats, they can usually obtain needed moisture from insects and succulent vegetation, digesting that vegetable matter with the help of intestinal protozoans. Their nests have been found to contain as many as 28 eggs, probably because of other females engaging in a behavior known as egg dumping. Several broods of quails may mix after fledging and are then cared for by several groups of parents. In addition to California, where it reigns as the state bird, the California quail also ranges down into Baja, California, and up into Oregon and Washington. It's Calopepla californica, the California quail. Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. Welcome again to our show number 801. That Talking Birds website awaits you. I hope you'll check it out. It's TalkingBirds.com. Rick Wright is a widely published author and sought-after speaker at birding events. He leads birding and birds and art tours for Victor Emanuel Nature Tours and is the book review editor at Birding Magazine. He attended the University of Nebraska and Harvard Law School and holds MA and PhD degrees from Princeton University. And among many other things, he's a founding member of the Nebraska Ornithologists Union Bird Records Committee. And he joins us here on Talking Birds to talk about the future of birding. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Ray. Great to have you on the show, Rick. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, we think about technology, I guess, as maybe the biggest thing that will influence the future of birding. But You've talked about the idea of how birders these days, especially younger birders, have begun to integrate other interests into their birding activity. So is that something you think will be a major driver in changing birding in the future? I think that's going to be a major part of the development of birding as we as we move into the future. And it isn't just integrating other activities into birding activities. It's the other way around, too. Um, I remember when I started birding back, way back in the 1970s, birding for a lot of people seemed to be a discrete, compartmentalized, segregated part of their lives. They'd um, dust off the binoculars in early May and put them back in, in June and maybe attend an Audubon Society meeting on the fourth Wednesday of the month, maybe hit a Christmas count. But when they were birding, they were birding. And when they were doing something else, whatever their interest or whatever their obligation, they were doing that something else. I see that as changing, and I think young people are contributing massively to that change, where birding is simply something that one does all the time, no matter what else someone is doing. They're also birding. 
And um, I also find a, a very happy development, um, not just in young birders, but in birders overall, that when you're birding, if you see something else, a natural thing, a fascinating piece of architecture, um, a, a historic site, you can bird at those places too. You can combine the experiences in a way that makes your overall experience that much richer. Interesting. And, and Rick, what about birders' interest in the environment? It does seem that there's not quite the correlation we might expect between an interest in watching birds and caring about the planet. Uh, is that likely to change, do you think, as part of that integration? I hope it does, and I think that there's reason for, for hope. I see a lot of um, birders, um, birders of all ages and generations, moving from birding quite logically to an interest in habitats and conservation. I don't think that that movement um, from birding as entertainment to birding as conservation is quite as automatic, quite as inevitable as a lot of people have thought over the years. But I think that's improving. Um, there are still plenty of birders who who go out and bird without perhaps giving as much thought as they might to their surroundings. But I, I do believe that's changing, and I hope that it will continue to change. Mm -hmm. So what about the technology thing? Where do you come down, Rick, on the pluses and minuses of apps and automatic photo and sound ID and all of that? Well, it depends on what you think birding really is. Mm -hmm. If if birding is as we have practiced it in, in North America and Northern Europe for the past more than 100 years now, if birding is exclusively about identification and the skills and knowledge that you have to bring to identification problems, then things like automatic sound and sight identification devices are, are a death now. But I don't think that birding has to be that. Um, birding can be whatever you choose to make of it. And if identification is simply a step in your larger process of birding, then having technological help in that identification is a great thing. Um, for a while, and on some days I still think this, but for a while, earlier this century, I believed that technology and the technologization of birding was was working against what had always been one of the great advantages of birding, which was the creation of a community, the creation of mentor relationships, the creation of a sense of, of cultural and historical tradition where knowledge is passed down from one person to the other. I thought that technology was, was really putting a stop to that. I'm not so sure now. Um, I find that when I am out with people who are really using technology heavily, one of the things that they're doing as they use their technology, whether they're keeping an eBird list or taking really excellent photographs or sound recordings, they're also, in the back of their mind and maybe in the front of their mind, using those parts of their experience to create a narrative that they are going to present to friends and other birders at the end of our excursion. Mm -hmm. So they'll take a photograph, and in the back of their mind, they'll be thinking, oh, I'm putting that photograph on Twitter, and what I'm going to say about it is this, and it will stand for my whole experience in this way. And people then communicate about that. And in that sense, I think that some technologies are actually making the community stronger. Mm -hmm. They're making the community broader, global, in, in, many, in many instances. And I think that's a positive. Mm -hmm. We've talked about young birders here. I'm interested in your thoughts, Rick, about efforts to turn young people onto birding. There, I think, is kind of a prevailing theory that is in many hobbies or interests, whether it's birding or classical music or whatever, that if we don't get young people involved, that thing will 
disappear. I think you push back on that somewhat. Am I right? I I am a little bit skeptical about that idea. Um, it it may it may sound a little cynical, but I think that we've been saying that forever. Um, every single decade, we we talk about the death of our hobby because there's no one looking over our shoulders generationally, mm-hmm. and I think that that perhaps disregards the the typical pattern of not just birding but a lot of hobbies, a lot of of different hobbies. People often will get started at a young age, um, especially for boys. The the classic age is 12 or 13 to get started in birding and get really into it. But a lot of those birders then move into college, move into jobs, move into families, move into demanding careers, and birding and whatever other hobbies they, they may have been obsessed with necessarily fall by the wayside for a while. And that, I think, is what people are talking about when they talk about the lack of young people Mm -hmm. in birding. But what happens then is that as life smooths out and settles down, say the children leave the house, um, retirement or greater career stability sets in, and those same people who maybe 20 years earlier were really excited about birding, think back on that time Mm -hmm. and think, I wonder if that's still going on. (laughs) <laughs> Could I pick it up again? Yeah. They do pick it up again. And I think that that pattern is repeated over time. And I'm very, very certain that that pattern is going to continue. We may feel a gap in the sort of middle of the birding demographic, but I think there are people behind us coming up. Mm-hmm. Let me swing back, uh, Rick, around to uh, this idea of integrating other interests uh, within birding or the other way around, and ask you about your birds and art tours. Yeah, um, the birds and art tours that I've been um, leading for Victor Emmanuel in Central America and in Central and, and Western Europe are just, just a blast. And um, it's the way I've always birded. I really enjoy being able to satisfy many of my interests at once by birding, say, historical ruins, or going to a museum on a rainy afternoon, and then when it clears in the in the evening, going out and, and seeing some great birds behind the museum, that's a good birding day for me. Mm-hmm. And I find that there are large numbers of people out there who are interested in doing exactly the same thing. Maybe a birding tour where you sit around for an hour every evening and click off the, the 250 species that you've seen that day doesn't appeal to them as much as a birding tour where you see lots of birds, but at the same time, you experience the whole landscape, including the cultural and artistic landscape. Mm-hmm. Folks can learn about those tours, by the way, through the Victor Emanuel Nature Tours website. I believe it's ventbird.com. Do I have that right? That's it, Ventbird. And we can follow you on Twitter as well. Fascinating right, fascinating thoughts there by author, in-demand speaker, uh, and birding and birds and art tour leader Rick Wright with some thoughts about the future of birding here on Talking Birds. Rick, thank you so much for being with us, and I hope you'll come back and discuss some other birding topics soon. I'll look forward to it. Rick Wright here on Talking Birds. And up next, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. Hi, I'm Talking Birds senior producer Debbie Bleacher. We bring you Talking Birds every week because we care about birds and the environment. We know you care too, so we try to keep you informed about small things like hummingbird eggs, big things like climate change, and everything in between. But here's what's troubling How come 10.1 million environmentalists who were registered to vote skipped the 2016 election? Let's do better this time. We pledge to vote 
Will you join us? For more information and to register to vote, go to environmentalvoter.org. That's environmentalvoter.org. There's a crisis facing us today that reaches far beyond borders or boundaries. It's our planet. Scientists estimate that climate change will increasingly alter our planet. If you're ready to make a difference that lasts, to help protect nature and preserve life, visit the Nature Conservancy at nature.org today. That's nature.org today. Boy, we're really excited here. We have a flock of eastern bluebirds right outside our window, hopping around all over the place. How cool is that? But it's our mystery bird contest now, presented by Red Start Birding. Red Start Birding is your new resource for birding optics, gear, and expertise. Great birding starts at redstartbirding.com. It's our mystery bird. A medium-sized waterfowl with a long neck and long legs. It's buffy to cinnamon color on the head, neck, and chest. It has a dark gray back and wings with chestnut-colored patches on the wings and tail. Here in the U.S., our bird is found mostly in the Gulf Coast area on freshwater lakes and reservoirs and rice paddies where it feeds on seeds and other parts of plants. And the sound this bird makes may offer a clue as to its name, kind of, sort of. That's our mystery bird. Beautiful prizes include the Droll Yankees Cute Chickadee Feeder, good for any type of food. Sunflower seed, mixed seed, fruit, mealworms, whatever you like and your birds like. Bonus prize, a 12-ounce bag of delicious, shade-grown, bird-friendly, birds and beans coffee. Prizes here on our mystery bird contest. The important thing is to call us and tell us what you think that bird is. If you have the right answer, you'll be the winner. And if you have the wrong answer, you may still be the winner. Because a drawing will determine our winner from among all those received here. 781-837-4900 is the number. That's 781-837-4900. Do call us as quickly as you can, so we'll have time. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, let's ask Mike with the legendary Mike O'Connor in just one minute. Talking Birds. We're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation. Hi, my name is Kanan Cole and I live in Bellingham, Washington. What I like about being a Talking Birds ambassador is handing that card out to someone and being able to share with them all the joy I get from the show. I volunteer my time and teach bird classes throughout the community and I like to hand out cards there. If you enjoy talking birds as much as I do, you owe it to yourself to become an ambassador, to share the knowledge, to share the joy to the people you love or the people you don't know. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. It's easy to do. Just visit our website, talkingbirds.com. Click on Get Involved at the top of the homepage and then choose the Become an Ambassador option at talkingbirds.com. Join today and thanks. Shortly, we'll be saying thanks to Mike O'Connor because he's on the line with us there, we hope, from uh, the legendary Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod. I'm here. So, Mike, I understand that uh, you've been collecting some unusual bird names. Do I have that uh, right that you'd like to regale us with? Yeah, well, I think everybody has uh, yeah. bird names that they can kind of find funny. And some guy wrote into me, he, uh, he likes the limpkin, which is a you know southern kind of heron kind of bird. And uh, he thought that was a funny name. 
The limpkin actually gets its name from the way it walks. It does have a bit of a limp, at least in some people's eyes, so they call it a limpkin. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. I am writing it down. Limping limpkin. Got it. Okay. Can't swim and limp. Got it. So I did. A, I was writing a column, and I, I came up with some things that I thought were funny. Um, I didn't include any, like, double entendre names, because that just seems... And, you know, that's too easy. Okay. Uh, you, you have a sophisticated show, so we're not doing it. Of course, that. yeah, we, we don't go that, that low. And, yeah. and I think the old comedians back in the Henny Youngman days would all, you know, the go-to funny name Bird was the yellow-bellied sapsucker. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, Bird is only find that funny. They just find <laughs> it as a cool bird. So I went through some lists. I think his friend Freya would like these because they're from Australia. There's the tawny frog mouth, which, you know, yeah. conjures up all kinds of impressions, but it's a night-flying bird that grabs insects with their ginormous mouth. Yeah, that's a, a weird-looking bird. It is kind of a weird-looking yeah, weird. bird. I think your friend David Clapp mentioned the great Galway bird from Africa oh, when Africa. he was there. Yeah. Kind of, so I, you know, I listened to the call a couple of times. I didn't really get it. Um, didn't sound like Galway to me, but, you know, if anybody hears Galway a lot, it would be David Clapp. So <laughs> David, are you listening? He'll be calling in shortly. This is the oxymoronic uh, greater Peewee, which seems like a little contradiction in terms. Uh, Indonesia has the invisible rail. Apparently they can, you know, all rails are tough to find, but this mm, one is extremely really hard, hard to find. Yeah. And the snowing rail. Maybe My favorite could... bird is from the tropics of South America, and it's called the screaming peahaw. Ooh. It sounds like a crazy bird. Actually, it's kind of a bland, kind of a mockingbird, catbird kind of a thing. Mm. But they get on these legs, and they have these little adorable, almost like pigeon coos they give before while they're, where they're giving their mating call. It's just coo coo. But then they erupt with this harsh raspy scream and if you see pictures online it looks like the birds are going to explode almost the mouth gets wide open and they shrink down and I'm going to attempt to play one and then here you go stand by yeah. what was the name of that bird again it's called the Screaming Peahaw. The Screaming Peahaw. Wow, that is... Peahaw, I think, is kind of a kind of a indigenous name, meaning, you know, something. But there you go. So put that on your list of crazy birds to see. Screaming Peahaw from South America. All right. And if you want to find that invisible rail, you might uh, you might use the masked booby. You could uh, probably sneak up on it there. Sneak right up on it. There you go. Thank you, Mike. Okay, talk, talk to you, you next later. week. Mike O'Connor there at the Birdwatchers General Store in Cape Cod. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Whether you enjoy birds in your own backyard or far afield, you'll find information in every issue to help you find, attract, identify, and understand birds. Regular contributors include Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and other birding experts. Learn more birdwatchingdaily.com Welcome back to our mystery bird contest. Here's the bird we're trying to identify. A medium-sized waterfowl with a long neck, long legs, buffy to cinnamon color on the head, neck, and chest, dark gray back and wings, chestnut-colored patches on the wings and tail. What is it? 781-837-4900. Alex is in Weymouth, Massachusetts. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. Good to hear from you, Alex. And what do you think our mystery bird is? Uh, now that I heard you uh, describe it a second time, I don't uh-huh. believe I have it, but I'm going to say cinnamon teal. Well, you are correct that you don't have it, if that's any consolation. <laughs> Sorry what, about that. What a shame, Ray. What a shame. <laughs> I know. Well, that's a good try, though, and thank you very much, Alex. 
Try us again. Thank you, Ray. I greatly appreciate it, and I enjoy your show so much. Thank you very much. Thanks, Alex. All right. Not a, I think he said green wing teal, if I've, I've probably forgotten already. Cinnamon teal, he said. I did forget already. But anyway, thanks for that guess, Alex. And we have Noah and Miles in Asheville, North Carolina. Hello, uh, hello Noah and Miles. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello, Noah. Hello. That must be Miles. Hi. Hi. Yep. <laughs> I know. Miles. Uh, let's see. So what do you think about our mystery bird? What's our guess? Yeah. Um, reddish egret. A reddish egret. Another top quality guess, but not the one we were exactly looking for. But thank you for calling. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and for listening. Okay. I think we have time uh, for maybe one more try. Hannah in Green Harbor, Massachusetts. Good morning, Hannah. Good morning. On, on the road in Good Green morning. Harbor. Good morning, Hannah. What do you think on the mystery bird? I was thinking an enhigna. And Hinga is not correct, but another excellent guess. Thank you so much, Hannah. Thanks. We have Thank agenda you. by the bird here. Jesse, can you pick out a winner uh, among our callers here? Uh, Miles and I'm guessing Dad? Yeah, Miles and Dad down there in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, our winner this morning. Holy mackerel, we have a great show next week about bird ability, but we are out of time for this week. Thanks so much for being with us, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs> Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club, a Rhode Island based club of passionate birders like you. Become a member and check out the fall edition of our newsletter. We've tripled the number of writers, and the issue is chock full of good reading. Find us on Facebook and at OceanStateBirdClub.org. By the way, our mystery bird was the Fulvis Whistling Duck. The Fulvis Whistling Duck. <laughs>